0: You're listening to Reach, Teach, Talk with Nat Dane. Welcome back to another episode of Reach, Teach, Talk. I am thrilled today because I have, as a guest here on this podcast episode... A 45-year teacher who has worked with kindergartners and first graders her entire career here in Los Angeles, California. This is a teacher who I was hoping so badly to get on this show because she could talk about anything, anything that relates to relational teaching, anything that relates to the connection that we all have with each other the human connection because she's worked with five and six-year-olds because she is articulate in her own way because the way her voice speaks is a voice that you would want to have as your kindergarten or first-grade teacher uh, when you look back when you think of yourself or you think of your kids or you think of your grandkids you will see this you will hear this um, for yourselves. Uh, Miss Judy Mansfield 45 year teacher, educator here in Los Angeles to talk with us today about the concept of trust. And I've always thought to myself, gosh, if you can build trust with five-year-olds or six-year-olds, you can build trust with anybody. Trust only takes you know, takes a long time to build, but it takes only a nanosecond to break. And we're going to be talking about the importance of trust, particu- particularly in this day and age, with this generation rising up, um, where they're getting information from Myriad sources from all over, through technology, through their exposure to media, through their exposure to just the world that seems closer to these little kids than it seemed in previous generations including my own. And what every kid needs is an atmosphere, a classroom that focuses on building trust through safety, through stability, through the freedom to try things out, to explore to fail, to bump their head, to skin their knees, to get lost and then be found, and to have this always this teacher who finds them, who welcomes them back from failure, from injury, from wounding, being wounded either in ego or in the mind or in their physical selves, to come back to what actually this, what Judy Mansfield said uh, when she came into the studio this nest this nest this classroom is a nest this classroom is a place that is a haven and a place where where kids can grow in an environment that is infused by trust so without much further ado welcome Judy Mansfield 45 year educator of the little ones in elementary school and we're going to talk today about the power of trust and trust building so welcome
1: well, thank you so much for inviting me and trusting that, uh, that I'll do a good job for you. And I hope that I, I certainly hope that I will. When you uh, asked me uh, to do the podcast, it really did make me think of perhaps aspects about myself that I just always taken for granted or thought were there. But it made me think a lot deeper about what have I done in my career and how to have I changed the relationship and thinking about trust. When I was a beginning teacher all I could really do was be one day or three hours ahead of the children. I couldn't have any energy to really think about much else. Plus I was really becoming my own person and I didn't have a lot of time to when I look back, think about how my actions might affect uh, young children. The more that I matured, uh, the easier it became. But I have some takeaways that I always tried to remember. You know, every one of us, children included, have warts. And with those warts, you know, they will come off if you give it the right treatment. So children are a little bit like that. But one of the things that I always tried to remember is every child has a talent. They may not be athletic, they may not be musical, it might be an emotional kind of talent, but, you, and for many, you need to dig deeper. The, di- the harder you dig and the more you find that special talent, the more a child will begin to know that you really, really like and know them. And that's the bottom line. In order to be like that, you've got to, you have to make yourself very vulnerable. And you have to admit, boy, I really screwed up on that. I really made a bad choice for that child. You have to know yourself and be willing to say, you know, I didn't I didn't do a good job today handling that situation. But knowing that you can go back the next day, take that child aside and apologize for the way you handled that and get them more involved in it. Um, the other thing that is a real, um, that is really very important and I hold deeply, not only with children, but with adults. Everyone wants to be accepted and loved. And many children, even young, have a facade that covers up that it doesn't matter to them or it does. Once you peel that away, and find out who the real person and the real soul that is in that child you've got them Um, but it may not happen in september it may not happen in october Um, and i will admit some of them are harder to get to and to love than others but stay with it and you will find something to love and to cherish and then that child will trust you
0: every single child you've ever taught then you have found something deep within and sometimes deeper for some than for yes. others some of them are tougher nuts to crack than they, others
1: they are and the other thing is that when i when i know them at ages 5 and 6 you really know who they are deep down and then i look at them perhaps when they come back and they've got all of these other clothing layers <laughs> on them, but if you talk to them on a one-to-one, they're the same. They still want to be loved, accepted, and know that you remember them for who they were.
0: You know, uh, this talk about the spirit and the soul of a child is something, in living in London, um, the uh, Ofsted, which is the um, kind of the equivalent of the Department of Education here in the U.S., I was struck by, I'm on the board of one of, of a school in London, mm-hmm. which is a primary school, and um, they really actually have a whole section of evaluation when they come in to evaluate these schools on their two-day walkthroughs, which looks at the spiritual life of the child. Mm-hmm. How well is this school developing the spiritual life of a child, and it took me a little while to get my wrap my hands around that, the idea that this is not talking about formal, organized religion. Mm-hmm. It's not even talking about spirituality, but it's talking about spirit. Can you speak to that a little bit, and where do you think we are today in terms of schools in the U.S. and focusing on the spirit?
1: Well, I in many ways I think we're losing that and I don't know if that is just for me a generational thing thinking back how it was when I first began or my upbringing but students today are very busy very competitive because all their parents and they want to get in a good school to have a quote successful life. Sometimes if that is your main focus it is easy to lose who you really are and what makes you happy Um, and even you know young children you don't know what their path is going to be or whatever but you do know that if you give them the tools of love and trust and for me that's that's a part of spirituality um uh, If you give that to them and know no matter what their path is, you trust them to make good choices. And that takes a lot of work for a teacher. You, they are going to make horribly bad mistakes, just like I continue to do today. But with each of those mistakes that they make, they're going to learn, make a better choice or to at least think a nanosecond before they do the same thing again and for me teaching is all about raising and rearing good human beings for society and you know I look at at children that that I've had that had either emotional issues, academic issues, and were labeled uh, according to some sort of label. Well, in each of those labelings, uh, whether it may medically be true or not, there's a way for them to use that for later success. Um, I'm thinking about students that I've had that were diagnosed of, you know, ADHD. You know, they might be (laughs) be difficult in the classroom, but you fast forward that 20 years and that energy and that enthusiasm and that focus, you look at those children and if nothing else has gotten in their way, they are doing well. And they are not in the box thinkers. And I, I think you know, along with that trust, you've got to just get over that every child is supposed to be is supposed to be the same. And you just know every morning somebody is gonna jerk your chain and you just have to hold yourself back and say, Okay, let me think about how I'm gonna deal with that. Uh, it may be absolutely private. It may be just a look. And a look and a voice will get you every time.
0: <laughs> a look and a voice. And sometimes the look even supersedes the voice. Yes. Right? Sometimes words take a back seat to actual tone or that mm-hmm. look. I think we all of us can think <laughs> of a teacher who gave us that look <laughs> at some point growing up, and we remember it today, still causes a shudder. Right? Um, time it takes time it takes time to build trust and if you break it down it takes time to take that breath that a, a relational teacher like yourself would have to do when that student is yanking your chain mm-hmm. right so what what advice could you give to teachers on their thought their messages to themselves when they have a student it's the rush of the classroom who's who's who needs Something from you.
1: I think one of the first things is if you feel, if you feel that heat or that hair on the back of your neck, or you you want to say something, just put your hand over your mouth and be quiet. Um, don't say the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Turn around right. so they don't see you. Take take a breath. Know that. There's some defense that that kid is doing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they talk to their parents like that. Maybe they talk to their care, their child care person. That doesn't mean that it's going to be all right with you and you let it slide. But now would not be the time to do that. So you just have to sometimes put your own ego way off the shelf, and say, you know, who am I serving now? Am I serving myself or am I serving this child? Um, and once you do that, and once they have cooled off, you have cooled off, then you can have a private talk of saying, you know, I think there's something. Let's ch- let's chat. There's something we need to talk about, uh, and they have to look you in the eye if they don't look you in the eye they will come up with all kinds of frankly BS and if you if they look you in the eye they have to be honest and if you have eye communication you just know something about a person's eyes you can tell when you've got them Um, and it might you know it might take several times for that child the same thing actually works with parents it's just as difficult um to get trust and have trust of a parent uh, sometimes harder than it is from a child Um, you know i think parenting is one of the most difficult difficult jobs in the whole world and you know no one, no one really can tell a parent how to parent other than, than give them advice, but I think parenting, especially now with parent, is very difficult.
0: What do you think is the factor that makes you say, especially now, is there one thing you're thinking about? I
1: think in uh, the words in your introduction, like social media, they, they have access to so much material. Uh, And some accurate, some not accurate. Uh, If their lives are busy, they may not have time to really sit and chat with their child to find out. And then, you know, they have their own expectations and ego wrapped up in their children. Uh, The interesting thing that I found is I did a much better job parenting the older I got. If I had uh, parents that were close to my age well, how would they take any advice that I gave them how would I really have enough uh, experience to be respected in that uh, in that way for them but I noticed the older I got the more they respected my opinion and I also think it is because I took a serious look at who I was and how I was dealing with them. But as long as the parent knows that you really know their child and you're really working for that child and you want to work with them, um, it's an easier road.
0: I think, I'm think i thinking a lot about sight and the eyes. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about the eyes being the window to the soul. You mentioned the eye contact being something so much more than just paying attention. You can read somebody through their eyes. Mm -hmm. And you also said that about the parents, the kids and the parents. And I thought about how you can always see. It's amazing how how from far away you can tell if somebody's looking at you or not. Even though you can't see their eyes necessarily, you really can. So we have this gift as human beings, right? We have this gift of sight. And the idea of hindsight is something that came to mind just a moment ago. When you're talking about working with parents, and when you're around their age, or when you're younger yourself, it takes a lot longer. It's not impossible. Um, you've achieved it. It's it's you know to build that trust with parents who are very close to your age. You're young. You're they're young. But it's hindsight mm-hmm. that can help and be so advantageous to teachers. And I think about that, and you actually helped me clarify this because I think people who go into teaching. As a career change, have a certain advantage. Uh, do you like because they're coming in as adults? They're coming in as they've got hindsight. They've 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 been young. They've been young adults. They've you know had a career. They've scraped you know years together of parenting, and now they want to go into the classroom. And they've got the gift of hindsight, which some others might call wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know if there's anything else you wanted to add to that.
1: Um, I totally agree that that that. Is I think a major major plus. Plus, you know, sometimes when you get older, you're you. I hope it become a bit more mellow. But we know people that have not become more mellow; they've become the other way. But
0: we uh, leave yeah. politics out of discussion <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs>
1: we we, we hope that uh, you know that we become more compassionate and more mellow and and more understanding of. You know, everybody has their own way, and that doesn't mean that that it's the wrong way. Um, but I I do think the other thing that I that I don't not quite know how to go in, how to exactly pinpoint it is that no matter who the teacher is or the administrator or whatever, if you allow your ego to get in the way of all of those things. I think you've lost the battle, Um, uh, you know, and it's a hard thing to kind of separate, okay, is this my ego, or is this the right way? Uh, It's a tough call, but I think, you know, if you're egotistic, (laughs) I don't believe teaching is quite the right place for you.
0: (laughs) And not only, that's genius and absolutely true, and not only are you saying that, but you, you, you actually gave examples of that when we started this conversation. It was really interesting to me because everything you said about working with kids and how to build the trust bridge with, with five and six-year-olds involved vulnerability. You started with the word apologies mm-hmm. and I was thinking, oh my gosh, we have to get back to this at some point. This is a perfect time to do this because all of that involves removing the ego from your relationship with your students. And they're five years old, Judy. Yes. But even with five-year-olds, you're saying to communicate that to air as human is really important. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little more to that? How do you view five-year-olds then? Um, Are they little adults? I
1: I view them in knowing innately by your just your daily actions and actions not only just to them, but they watch how you're treating others they know if you have favorites a child knows if you really like them or if you're putting on a persona in front of others uh showing that you care and all the you know lovey-dovey stuff it's deeper than that Uh, but a child knows uh, if you've really got their back and that you would have it their whole life um and, you know, I, I children that I had 40 years ago, um, I still think of them and will never, ever forget them. Um, I think, uh, and then I, if I see them as an adult, oh, my gosh, I I still see them sitting on the rug, sitting and playing and goofballing at recess because I think deep down that's still who they are. <laughs> um so I did. I I really did learn have to learn to apologize. Well, first of all, I had to realize that there was something that I had to apologize for, um, and then knowing, you know, what is the biz? The big You goofed up. They goof up. Let them know that you're exactly like they are, uh, and that you made a wrong decision, and you're sorry for it, and you're going to do better.
0: Do you have a? Are you thinking of a specific situation? Um, is there a
1: story? There, there is one that comes to my mind. There was a young, there was a young boy, that um, was very, he, he was very self-conscious, uh, such, such a wonderful student, and had many has many qualities, but never liked to be in the forefront. And i remember he did something i don't remember exactly what it was but he did something that was exceptional and i called i made attention to that in front of the whole room and i knew instantly by looking at his face that i had made a big faux pas he did not want others knowing how successful he was because perhaps one of his friends could not do it. Uh, And I had to take him aside, and I deeply apologized for embarrassing him. But I looked at his face and I knew instantly that that was not the right thing for him. Now, another child would have been glorious in that, but not for him, and I remember apologizing for, for the embarrassment that I caused him.
0: You shone a spotlight on somebody and one of your students publicly that he deserved. Mm-hmm. To, you mm-hmm. you know, if the intention was correct and true. Yet, as you were giving praise to this student in front of his class, as you were doing it, you realized, oh, wait, because you saw his eyes.
1: Mm-hmm. I saw his and eyes. And his eyes had a
0: look of, oh, no, I'm mm-hmm. being Like betrayal.
1: Betrayal, really.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what you said to him?
1: Um, I I remember calling it exactly what it was, uh, apologizing for how I embarrassed him in front of the class, and I should have known that that was not the right way to handle it. Uh, I praised him on the job that he did and that he should feel good about it. I said, but I should have handled it just quietly between you and I, or maybe written you a little note and stuck it in your homework folder. Uh, And he was forever grateful of that. He had tears in his eyes that I knew him well enough, and this was age six, that I knew him well enough that he felt betrayed because I opened my mouth.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> the action. I mean, we're not laughing, obviously. The situation is, but it's the action of opening your mouth that about him mm-hmm. and betrayal is such a strong word, but it's totally appropriate, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because to a six-year-old who had built this trust bridge, mm-hmm. and trust is about belief. She believes in me. It's about knowing, as you were saying at the beginning of this conversation, as well. It can take months and months yes. to truly know a kid, but that is our primary job. Mm-hmm. So I thought Ms. Mansfield knew me. Why would she bring up, even if it's positive, why would she highlight me? And listen to her response. I know how that must have made you feel. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. And if I had done it again, I would do it with a note or I would do it privately. Mm -hmm. And his tears, how would you describe those tears then?
1: Well, I think they were like tears of relief that he didn't have to, that he could hold, I hope, the same opinion and view of me. Um, that that he had before and the relief I think of realizing that I really did know him Um, so that was my take on it I never really asked him you know um, but that was that was what I garnered from from his tears that they were tears of relief that that's over
0: and I think that your empathy the depth of your empathy for this six-year-old is is a great example of the removal of ego. And of in the only adult in the room or one of the two, mm-hmm. if you had a, a associate teacher um, in the room, it's you are the adult. they are, as you said, watching you all the time. Yes. And we mentioned earlier about, yeah, there's words, but there's tone, there's body language, there's eye, contact, or looks, a certain mm-hmm. look, um, <laughs> right? Yes, <laughs> exactly. ha <laughs> We know. Um, we've used those. Uh, sometimes it's all it takes. Yes. But, um, and, and it's so funny because sometimes you can reflect on a look at 2 in the morning and be like, oh, man, I looked at that kid and too stern, too severe, you know, and uh, just a look, but it can be so powerful. But most powerful of all is, and, and most wise of all, I think, is your comment about how he, he felt a sense of betrayal that – his and also a sense of relief relief not just in the apology but relief that his view of you that takes a long time to build Mm -hmm. especially when it's a trusting view relief that it's unchanged it may have rocked a little bit it might have been a little you know 5.4 richter scale but it calmed down and it actually maybe even became more solid afterwards
1: the, while you were saying that, it made me also reflect on instances where I've had to really suck it up and apologize to the whole class for um, for maybe misjudging them or only seeing, you know how teachers sometimes see the last thing that happens and not the first instances that that led up to that happening. Uh, and I know there have been many instances that I have had to apologize as a whole to the whole class for only seeing one instance and judging the whole thing by it and maybe giving them, quote, the talk. <laughs> the Explain class the talk. talk. Oh, my what God. is
0: the talk? I got a shiver in my spine when you said oh, that. Well,
1: it's kind of like, um, you know, when you goofed up at home, I would rather have had a paddling any time than the talk from my mother like oh I, th- I thought you would do a better job I'm so disappointed oh my god that was the worst and that's kind of the same thing uh, with children but, but being sincere of course in like you are disappointed in them that doesn't mean you don't love them and that you're you know they're gonna have another chance but you know, maybe maybe I was grumpy. Maybe I, you know, had a bad night the night before. It didn't feel well and, you know, was harsh or judgmental. But it's important, I think, that when you know you're doing that and and when you know that it's not the right way uh, to say, gee, I am so sorry. Um, I, I took it out on you and other things or I didn't see the whole instant. But I don't think there have been many instances that I have not regretted, you know, having the class talk and everybody on the rug and us talking about, you know, somebody's feelings got hurt and nobody stepped up to help that child. None of you stepped up. Um, And going through what are the steps to step up. And, you know, if you start that with with six-year-olds especially, you know they they will have a friend that will step up to help them when everybody else is picking on them or or maybe they don't fit in with whoever the in crowd is. Uh, I I do not regret having those honest firm talks about treating other people and how how they should be respectful of others I, I don't regret any of those talks.
0: not one bit because you're you're working with kids at the foundational level here and however you whatever you see you're also the observer here mm-hmm. you're you're up there observing these 20 kids or 16 to 20 kids in the classroom as a unit too and every once in a while it's really important. And sometimes, I mean, do you do? I'm curious. Do you also share with the class when the class is done exceptionally yes. well? Yes.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And pride them on. If I saw an incident perhaps at recess or checkout or any time, and I saw somebody else helping, helping somebody else that maybe somebody was picking on, or, or maybe they had had a bad experience at home, I really will as a class say you know this is the kind of thing that we mean about being a good friend Um, and so yeah and it your point is good in the fact that it does make me want to talk about it's easy to go to the negative sometime and not enough to make conscious effort to praise the class a couple of times for legitimate not made up things but legitimate Times that they really have arisen to the uh, to the occasion.
0: And we need to look for those legitimate yes. times. Yes. Because we can't just throw out artificial balloons at them and be like, that was, you're just wonderful for breathing. Look, mm-hmm. at, look at how cute mm-hmm. you look sitting there. Like, the, you're wonderful. That's false praise. And, and you said earlier, this is just repeating back to you, it's the kids know. They, they know. Yes.
1: Right? Yes. They and know I, better than adults. Well, you remember, you know, at school when like a um, you know those gold slips that we would get for positive behavior. Oh yeah,
0: we really had those.
1: Yeah. Um, I know I've had many children, like pick up a piece of litter and say, "Don't I deserve a gold slip?" <laughs> it's about all I could do just not to not to laugh. Um, and but they finally get them message. that's just part of their daily responsibility about pride and where they go to school, or their own home, or whatever. <laughs> But I mean, they they give it a shot. It's worth a try. (laughs) It's worth a try. The conditional
0: if then. Yes. Yes, prodigal son. I stayed here and I was good. My brother went away and partied, and then he comes back and you welcome him back. Wait, what about me? Didn't I deserve your love? Um, This is wonderful. I'm going to actually take a moment because you're in in hearing you talk about the classroom. I want to. I I did a little bit of polling. with, with some people who absolutely love you and have oh. you and parents whose kids have had you as their teachers. And then one of these stands out. I'm just going to read one. This is a woman who had two daughters um, go through um, your classes.
1: Oh, I'll see if I can figure out who it is. Uh,
0: yes. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see, I'm, I bet you can, but this, you don't have to say it. on miss um, Mansfield continues to be a favorite in our household, even though it was so many years ago. She was our first grade teacher. She created a safe space in her class where they secretly chewed bubble gum in class on special occasions. <laughs> they earned popcorn parties for being very good and following what we called the five C's character. They had the annual sleepover to show the kids how much they grew. Miss Mansfield instilled an independence in my daughters and provided chances to be thinkers. She had them create lists of things that they excel in so that they could go to each other for expertise.
1: I'd forgotten that I'd done that. One
0: of my girls (laughs) recalls that rather than starting her morning in the early care, where kids can be early dropped off into your school, Mrs. Mansfield let my daughter rearrange desks and choose new tables for her classmates. She loved the responsibility that Mrs. Mansfield provided her. My other daughter always remembers the different roles and jobs that they, that she had <laughs> in first grade. Both of my daughters remember feeling loved, and they knew that Judy Mansfield believed in them, and that was a feeling that they still feel today.
1: Oh, that uh, that is wonderful. It, and not uh, just, I mean, that somebody really said that is quite a lovely thing. I, sometimes you just take those things for granted. And I, I really appreciate that.
0: Teaching feels sometimes like anonymous donations, right? It's like you're giving and you know. You know. We're mature. We know, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to come back to us as, you know, oh, I remember that day when it was about March day when I was six <laughs> years old. And, you know, you got down on your knees and you just told me this thing that just changed my whole self-concept. And since that moment I've grown, you'll never really don't hear that. But you have to have faith. And you have to have that intuition that says there are... Tens of thousands, right, of kids who you have worked with, maybe not, I mean, that's a lot of, uh, less than that, but still, if you think, calculate it. Um, math is never my forte. <laughs> uh, hundreds to thousands of kids that you have had as your students who would all have stories like that and feelings of love because you communicated feelings of love to them. And I love, I love this, the secrecy Maybe you can speak to that a little bit because there's something so special about that. Like this is our secret world here. This is we have our secret rules here. We
1: well, uh, more toward the end of the year after you really had bonded, um, I thought it just always thought it was, was special to have something that was just ours, um, whether it was, you know, a popcorn party or like I just loved that bubblegum party because there was no chewing of gum at school, (laughs) Uh, and it was for many of them the first time that they had ever chewed bubblegum, and we had to give lessons then on how do you blow a bubble, and there were some in the the class who really were quite dynamic about how to uh, Where to put your tongue and when to blow the right pressure, Uh, and I thought, you know, this is I just blow bubbles, you know, when bubble gum whenever I wanted to. I never thought about how to do it, but there were some students who were helping others, and even if they got their tongue in the tip of that gum, we call that a bubble. Um, So it just just silly things like that. Sometimes it would, you know, be the the desk fairy that came if they had a clean desk and you know maybe a little i don't know a little treat of some sort or uh, a little paper cut out of their favorite animal or something if their desk was clean from the desk fairy just something that was special that only our class did to make us of like a family unit that, like a tradition, family, like families always have traditions. The other thing that I'm just thinking about, um, in all of the total 50 years that I taught, I cannot think of one child that I I ever did not like. Truly. Not one child. There were, like we said, there were ones that I had to work harder to break down the facade of who they were. But I I can't think of a single child, uh, some I felt sorry for, uh, some I wanted to take home, um, but there was not one that I ever thought, I don't like you.
0: Mm -hmm. In 50 Years of Teaching, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that speaks volumes about belief that every single one of us has Something likable, something lovable, Mm -hmm. and that the love of a teacher, the unconditional love of a teacher, is the most important thing.
1: I believe that. I do. They'll succeed if you give them that. They'll succeed in whatever their role is. And, you know, life has to have different, people have to have different roles. They all can't be a CEO uh, somebody in there has to be caring for others, um, has to, you know, be able to be good with their hands. Uh, heavens, if somebody told me I had to be a plumber and learn plumbing or an electrician, I would be the worst in the world. I have no talent for that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We, we're going to have to wrap this up, okay. but I was just thinking about talents outside of the classroom, and it made me think about something else I know about you, which is you really take advantage of your off-teaching time. Can you speak a little bit about that and what is so important to you about, about honoring your love of travel and your love of exploration?
1: Um, I do love to travel. Mo- most of my travel right now since I'm physically still able to hike a lot and walk um is based around adventure travel where I have to really exert myself and go to the beyond but it's also about what animal lives there I really only travel to areas now that have animals that I'm not sure are going to be around in 20 or 30 years um the place is wonderful and i love the places but for me it's about what is the animal that lives there because when you look animals and children are very much alike um if you treat them with other than like wild animals and but if you treat them with respect and there's still something in an animal's eye when you get close that is very much like a child's in trust and love and i know that sounds so bizarre and so many people will think oh man she has really lost it but i i really have a love of of animals and conservation and every every living thing has a place in our world um and so uh, like, I just, you know, got back from China and going in the uh, mountains, the uh, uh, Shen Mountains. Uh, and I, had, I went up 30, uh, 30, yeah, 13,000 feet, and man, I thought my heart was going to leap out of my chest before I got there, but I thought, Judy, you've come all this way. You're not giving up. So that's – I really just love traveling and meeting all kinds of people and cultures and knowing, you know, just because I'm a U.S. citizen does not make me a better person than somebody from another country.
0: And just because I come from this kind of a family doesn't make me a better kid than somebody who comes from a different type of family. Yes. Right? That is applicable.
1: So true. Material things do not – Make true happiness.
0: Yet the eyes have it. The eyes are the windows to the soul. The eyes are the greatest communicators of connection and of trust. And the averted gaze is something that, whether it's the averted gaze to the, the iPhone or whether it's the just looking away, is something that Miss Mansfield has paid attention to and brought them back into. The eyesight, the connection, Mm -hmm. and the removing of the I, I, letter I, (laughs) right? Yes. Of the ego, allowing the vulnerability, allowing time to reflect as a teacher, time to apologize when necessary, time to time to show the students that you see them. I see you. I trust you. That's that's at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, that is what creates the classroom experience of love that is felt by your students years and years afterwards. I just want to thank you oh, so much for being you, on this episode, Judy Mansfield. You,
1: uh, you gave me lots of things to think about and experiences that I had forgotten. So thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.
0: Your wisdom <laughs> and your love is just amazing. Thank you so, so much, Judy. Okay.
1: Thank you.